You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode... <laughs> fucking fucking dog. I swear. That was amazing. Yeah, he's killing me. Don't don't ever get a working dog. <laughs> gotta have, they got to have something to do, man. Yeah. Uh, all right. We can, let's try this again. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to episode 316 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I am Stephen Seagraves, joined by Seth Miller and Fosma Moo this week. Gentlemen, how are you? Yeah, hell, the gang's all here. Yeah, it's uh, this will post on November fifth. By then, we will maybe kind of sort of know who president the new president is, or the you know who president who won the election. Yeah, the elect is. Yeah, that's a pretty bold statement. <laughs> uh, I'm hopeful. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> Listen, none of the states certified the votes that quickly. Never. Happened. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I was reading like Oregon's like uh, I think it takes like five days to certify everything, even though we do mail in voting. So yeah. yeah. Kind of crazy. Two weeks isn't uh, unreasonable. Or yeah. Unheard of. Maybe by Thanksgiving if we're lucky. Yeah. Um, so we don't have any follow up from last week, but I think we just we must have gotten to- everything right. That's what that means. We nailed it. Um, <laughs> United has updated their mobile app. Yeah, you have some thoughts uh, on that. I, 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 yeah, I got a few. Uh, <laughs> and and their in their release, the press release for this, they really talked about um, making it more accessible for people with disabilities, specifically visual disabilities. Um, I find that interesting because I find it to be worse for people who don't have visual disabilities. <laughs> um, I, I think there's just some serious problems with usability overall with the new app and its responsiveness. So it's super slow, right? Yes, it is very slow. Okay. Um, and I'm not sure what's actually going on in the background to do that, but it is definitely slower. Yeah, I, I you know, I don't use it very often just because, you know, none of us are traveling that much and whatever. But for my, I have a work trip again next week and I had to buy a ticket. And I was like, oh, let me see how the new app works because I'm the segment I'm buying is on United. And I went and like every time I clicked on a city to search, mm-hmm. like you click on the text box and I type it in and I'd hit the OK or like it's, there's an extra tap to get a city to search. And then you click OK and like it's processing something, but it doesn't really show you that. So like then I go to tap the next box and suddenly like I type in the from city and I tap. And then by the time I go to tap to the to city, it's somehow like thing has shifted and I'm in the date field instead. It's a, it's a super weird interaction. So. And I, th- I think that's part of the issue too, is that it's, it's such a, it's more intense when it comes to changing your uh, fields that you're on. Right. So I, I click on a field. It's not taking me to the field I expect, or when I do a date, it doesn't take me to, you know, the, the, the correct date field. Like I switch from a round trip to a one way, like keep the original date that I put in there. Like maybe I just want to buy a one way ticket. Like it's just use it. It's basic things like that. But they've, they've said that they're optimizing it for tools such as voiceover and talkback, which are speaking uh, screen readers, screen readers, basically. And so they've optimized it for that, which makes me wonder if because I don't know a ton about these tools, but I wonder if they've actually built the app as a web view and and or rebuilt it as a web view, which I think is a problem if they have um, just because it's it the, the, the idea of a native app. It's so much faster and it's it's so much cleaner to access things offline or um, in just a, in a quick way. So I don't know. Yeah, Pos, what do you be. think? Oh, where do I begin? Uh, I'm glad I only updated one of my phones. Yeah. Uh, But so it's interesting. I haven't noticed it being substantially slower on the phone that I upgraded. Uh, But I would wonder, do you guys both have Bluetooth on? I do. Seth? Uh, Right now, is my Bluetooth on? It is turned on, yes. Because I'm wondering, because I do not keep Bluetooth on at all. 
And I'm wondering if that if the OTG beacons are sucking up a lot of uh, cycles. Like, like it's I'm looking not, for a signal. In my house. There's no there, OTG, there better not be any OTG beacons. <laughs> no, 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 but, but the beacon search. Yeah. Like it's just constantly running? Yeah, because that's one of the things they're trying to do right, with the app is get more data on you as you move through the airports. Well, I'm, I'm fine. I'm generally fine with that. I just, I, I mean, if you're going to do that, at least make it, you know, semi not suck the memory life out of your app. I don't know. Um, so if you haven't already, I would suggest you try installing the new app on an iPad in landscape mode. Mm. The calendar has five, day, five days across from left to right. But it's on scrolled. a twelve-inch screen. On a tw- on a ten-inch or I have a ten-inch, yeah. So, but you, but the dates are no longer lining up with the days. It has seven days across the top, but only five blocks across. It is. They didn't do any basic rudimentary testing on this. On on the uh, initial release with the flight uh, flight information, it would show give you default to yesterday's date. Lovely. Well, in, and the other thing I noticed, like they're talking about this contextual home screen, right? This reminds me of kind of like how the Delta app works. Once again, United being a market leader. Um, it, it's very similar, right, to how the Delta app works, where it gives you kind of this contextual view of your, your trip. Um, and they kind of had hinted at that before. They had kind of done some stuff around that. But now it's supposed to be, you know. The only difference now is that it's for everybody, not just Myos Plus members. Oh, oh, well, yeah. United have been there for a long time. Um, that's the big difference. Yeah. Is, and right, so this is one of the things United is doing is trying to open up more of the sort of user specific functionality to people they don't quote unquote know that aren't frequent flyer members necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things they also have changed is you can do onboard purchases, um, buy on boards coming back, uh, I think next week or so, and starting out of Denver, and they're trialing a new thing where you can preload a credit card that you want to be active for the flight. And then you go to the flight attendant, like, I'm in seat 13J, I want two of these, one of these, and one of these. They just tap it up and hit go, and the charge goes through. Hmm. So you don't have to deal with exchanging cards. And that was a big, I think from the flight attendant perspective, a big issue in terms of sort of COVID risk and whatnot is not wanting to handle other people's stuff or, you know, that physical contact. And rather than, you know, trying to make NFC payments work, which clearly in the United States is a terrible idea because why would we bother with something so useful and easy to do? Um we are now dealing with this, like, preloading a credit card. But, you know, someone who has one stored in their account is great. But if you don't have a Mileage Plus account or you don't have the card stored, you have the ability now to sort of preload a card even as a non-member. Mm. It's kind of nifty. Yeah. I, I, I'm wondering, like, okay, so how does that work then if you get on the flight and you haven't loaded a credit card? Like, how does that – You have to have a physical you, card for the transaction. Oh, but, but they'll take it. They, I believe gonna, they will, yeah. Okay, okay. That's where I was getting. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I don't think you'll be denied service in that regard. Okay. The, I mean, the, I mean, it's it's generally, I think, some of the usability stuff, I completely understand. Wanting to make this an app that's for everyone to be able to use, I, I get it. Um, I think the, just kind of some of the visual cues that are typical, they've tried to, like, pare it down in a weird way. Like, uh, when you go to flight status, it, um, you know, it doesn't show you everything uh, in a clear manner. Everything's bolded, right? So that's, it, to me, that's, that's, I don't know. I don't like it. Um, it also doesn't make it clear. They got rid of the little airplane in the middle of your departure and arrival times, kind of that signified which one was which. So you don't really know that the left is the departure and the right is the arrival. So I don't know if you notice that, Fuzz, but it's kind of kind of strange. Yeah, I bet that screen reader related, though. Yeah. So anyway, it's it's I mean, it's I guess it's good. People I kind of did like a rudimentary poll on Twitter and people seem to like the new design. I, I find it ugly. 
<laughs> I, I think the older sign looks side the, the older design looks slightly better aesthetically. Um, the aesthetics aren't enough to piss me off, but the performance is weird. Like I found it, I found it in literally my one use of this app in like God knows how long. I found it rather frustrating. I mean, I don't know the new one. I don't like it at all. I just feel like I'm being forced to use a bloody website. Yeah, that's kind of what it feels like. It does feel like the website, which is at times clunky. Like just something as simple as the login page, right? In the old app, it's just it's a pop up. You put you put it in. Now it's loading a web page somewhere. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Can we just um, can we just get an app with with a green screen and nothing else? Faz <laughs> uh, wants to share. Faz wants to share. Yeah, I'll sit here typing GG codes all to my heart's content. <laughs> oh man, um, Southwest Chicago and Colorado Springs. What are their plans here? Um. They're adding a bunch of flights. Southwest is going to be the largest carrier in Colorado Springs when they add service there. Um, I mean, who's which, the largest carrier now? I don't know. So like to say, not not a huge achievement necessarily, but it's like twelve or thirteen flights a day. I feel like something like that departures, and um, they're also doing uh, like four a day just up to Denver, uh, which you know Southwest point to point carrier. We don't have hubs. Oh wait, uh, <laughs> hey, look at that hub in Denver, um, and. Chicago is a bunch of the usual suspects uh, in terms of sort of larger business cities, but I believe it includes Dallas Love Field, if I remember correctly. Hmm. So, so I mean, Colorado Springs is an interesting uh, choice for them, but I guess they see the winter travel as uh, potentially the, the the money, some money maker uh, potential there. So, uh, but what about Chicago or O'Hare? I guess is what's what's the, the story there. So, I mean, I think like we talked about it a little bit. Maybe not. Um, O'Hare, they said they want to expand in Chicago and Midway's full. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about it, but we, they didn't say any plans for where they want to fly. Have, you, have we heard yeah, anything? Yeah, so uh, service to O'Hare will start February 14th with four daily flights to Love Field plus flights to Nashville, Baltimore, Denver, and Phoenix, so big business markets, um, and all Southwest hubs. Even Nashville is sort of a, a smaller hub. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... I'm scrolling down the list here. If I got Colorado Springs listed in somewhere, uh, three daily to Dallas plus Denver, Las Vegas, Chicago, Midway. Um, and then I think the paywall kicked in on whatever website I'm reading this off of. And I lost it. Um, sorry. There's more. Uh, yeah, I lost it. Oh, well. is there really that much demand that needs to be filled? No, that they're flooding these markets. No. Southwest, though, has a history of using these sorts of any sort of downturn like this to ca- capture additional market share. Um, um, and they're going to try it again while not, you know, while also dealing with the fact that they're losing money just like everybody else. I mean, I wonder if this is what's finally going to push AA out of O'Hare. There have been rumors. <laughs> they swap. AA takes midway, and there have been rumors for a while that they're like O'Hare is the most at-risk hub that AA has at this point. (laughs) And a few weeks ago, I was reading something that there's some speculation that they're they might actually be considering stepping back a little bit. Right? Think about it. They couldn't get flights O'Hare to Narita to make money. Yeah. Two key business markets. They still need a. I would argue they still need an upper Midwest hub to keep people moving. But I mean, for the longest time, they didn't have a West Coast hub. They didn't care. Yeah, but you, you only need a West Coast hub if you're really serving Asia, which they don't. Oh, they're not doing that anymore. Hey, man, they relaunched uh, Shanghai service via Seoul, via DFW. Um, <laughs> from DFW, right? But, like, 
if you look at connecting flow, if you if you look at a hub for connecting flow rather than a major O and D market, just you know picking up local traffic, West Coast is for Asia, and East Coast is for Europe or South America if you're in Miami, and then Middle America is for domestic. Yep, I mean I, I agree, but and if you look at Delta, if you look at United, they will say that they're. Um, even southwestern extent, their mid America hubs are much better performing from a sort of premium yield perspective. Not not premium yield in sort of premium cabin, but yield premium in terms of people paying to come through. There's a reason that the airlines love those hubs. Hmm. Also, I forgot to delete this topic because I wasn't really prepared to talk about it. Sorry. <laughs> now you tell us. Uh, South African airlines just won't die. No. Uh, they are. Getting some cash infusion, right, from the government? <laughs> the government's giving them, like, another $400 million or something like that. You know, I wish I could go blow all my money and then someone come around and give me a bunch more money to replenish my coffers. <laughs> I mean, isn't that what jobs are for? <laughs> I don't think so. Not the way that the airlines... Not the way these guys are doing it, but I mean, yeah. I feel like, you know, I do some stuff, I spend the money, and then someone gives me more of it later. It's... I have to do something for that money, not just go to the government and beg. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I would say recklessly spend your money rather than... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, do you guys think this... I mean, how long will this sustain South African? Uh, months, not years. Is South African flying yet? I think they have some domestic service resumed. International, I believe the borders are still closed or very limited. They weren't even doing cargo, were they? No, because they had to give back their 350s because they were leased. And the 340s were dead. They'd given up. They'd given up the 340s because they got the 350s. I think. So I think they have some 330s. Right? Yeah. They had some 330s somewhere, but I'm not sure if those were leased or not, and what was going on. Pretty sure all they got left is single aisles at this point. So even when they resume, they can't really do anything long haul. No. So I mean, maybe right. Maybe the lessor gives them the uh, planes back. I'm sure they're just parked right now. I mean, what's what's a bigger risk? Letting on the verge of bank failure airline lease some planes or keeping them parked for someone else? I don't know. They apparently do still have the 340s and 330. Just one 330? They gave the rest back, I guess. Wow. Eight okay. 340s and three 319s currently owned or still under lease parked. Everything else is marked as historic on plane spotters, which means they were lease returns at this point. That's nuts. Jeez. So I mean, even if they even if they start flying, like Faz is saying, like they can't really fly a lot of places. Well, but also remember that their long haul markets generally lost them a ton of money. I imagine regional is going to be where they try to resume, anyways. Also, borders just the way borders are closed, regional seems the smart way to get resume to resume service. Yeah, I mean they can do a five and a half hour flight on a three nineteen. So if they need to go somewhere else in Africa, they can. Yeah, way more than five and a half on a three nineteen. Well, I guess how many people are on it? <laughs> when they're kicking without, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Three nineteen's got the longest range of the three twenty family CEOs. Oh. No, no, three nineteen's are the ones that always have to stop westbound in the U.S. in the winter. Three twenty stop westbound. Three nineteen stop more. Really? Yeah, because United used to run Newark, San Francisco, pre-merge on the three nineteen. You get you get PS on that now. <laughs> Not on the three nineteen. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying on the route. Uh, what uh, what else we got? Oh, Jow domestic triple sevens are gone, um, and Going. they're getting rid of uh, and they're getting rid of some international triple sevens. Yeah, so I think it's uh, Jow has fourteen domestic triple sevens. Um, I think it's or thirteen nine two hundreds and four three hundreds. 
And like 300 have a ton of seats on them. It's insane. Uh, those are all being retired by 2023. And then another 11, 200 ERs are getting retired by March of this year. Although some may convert to domestic service. So yeah, the, the 300, seven, triple seven, 300 has 500 seats on it in the domestic configuration. <laughs> Just sounds painful. What are they going to do with uh, their international triple seven? Like, I mean, what's the plan there? Do you think they'll just, they're going to not buy those? Oh, I forgot they were getting 350s. They have some already. They actually have 350s in a domestic configuration too. Really? I did not know that. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I didn't think about it at all, but apparently Airbus managed to trim some of the weight off the frame as part of that. I don't know exactly how or why, or you know how, but they managed to trim some of the weight off. So it's actually a lighter plane. So lower engine thrust coming out as well to extend the life cycle of it. Wow. Um, and on the same note, I mean, ANA is uh, the, starting up I'm there. sorry. I have to go back. Foz, 319 has a higher range. Sorry. It does? I'm surprised. 318, does. standard range. 318 is 3,100 nautical miles. 319 is 3,750. 320 is 3,300, and 321 is 3,200. Okay. Yeah, just... it's, it's what they build their BBJ on also, or ACJ, Airbus Corporate Jet, for the longer range. Same reason Boeing uses the 700. I wonder if United had something different, because the 319s were always the ones that were stopping. Yeah, I don't know, but I don't know. Sorry, I had to look it up. Cause <laughs> uh, otherwise, we'd have to correct it next week. <laughs> that's fine. So, but uh, JAL has Zip, right? And Anapan Airways uh, is starting up a low-cost carrier as well? Yeah, low-cost sort of mid-slash-long-haul. Uh, they want to take 787s and run them in a higher-density configuration to class of service uh, to other parts of Asia and Australia. And they're going to use the Air Japan uh license and infrastructure as they're calling it which i just find amazingly funny because like air japan was the 767s for the longest time that flew those same markets and it was like a weird i always assumed it was a weird union thing of who was operating the planes to save money but because that's how we would do it in the u.s it's like oh it's just this other brand that happens to you know fly under our exact same livery and seating configuration uh (laughs) with cheaper employees uh (laughs) but yeah, I'm not exactly sure how it it plays out in the bigger picture, but the new Air Japan is going to be 787s flying uh, mid-haul-ish markets. But is now the time to be working launching a new carrier? Well, I guess when well, else? They're not going to launch till spring 2022, <laughs> and uh, the answer is maybe. Right? If you're a low-cost carrier, want to be start up in London, the answer might be yes. <laughs> Or Cambridge is where he's based. That's, that's a that's a that's a teaser for uh, the Patreon subscriber bit of the show. Oh, thank you for reminding me. I was about to spill the beans right there. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, don't do that. So the other thing I wanted to talk about, Seth, you had a story actually today, I believe, about Bamboo. This we're recording this on Monday, uh, and Bamboo has now formally applied for U.S. service. They haven't formally applied yet, but uh, the sort of steady flow of paperwork coming through the U.S. Department of Transportation uh, docketing system suggests that they are very, very close. They've got a uh, sort of disaster recovery plan of like what to do if a plane crashes and how they're going to contact all the families. And they have a agent of record or service agent, which every airline that does any business in the United States is required to have someone on file. And usually it's a lawyer um, so that if you you know, are applying for things or if another airline wants to apply in this, in their case, like for service to Vietnam, they would notify all the other affected carriers, which would include the, you know, bamboo because they're Vietnamese airline. Um, And so last week they filed the paperwork for their agent of record and they used a well-known DC law firm, which I think represents other airlines as well. And then 
today they announced or they filed their family uh, family whatever plan the disaster something plan. So it's uh, they're definitely moving in that direction. They really are going to try to do this thing. Mm-hmm. And you, any predictions on? I mean, I have my thoughts on where they'll fly, but any predictions on where you think they'll fly? L.A., San Francisco. Do you think it'll just be San Francisco and L.A., or do you think it'll be one or the other? I think it'll be one or the other to start. They've only got three 787s right now with one on order, but that's a long flight. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure you can do daily service with one. I think you probably need like one and a half to do daily service. And so maybe you get one and a half for daily service and then another one and a half to, to Europe and back and you sort of ping pong back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. If the flight times work out right. Yeah, I was. I, I was. I haven't run a time schedule, but that's what I would think. I would. I, I was thinking that they would probably run it to L.A. over San Francisco first, just the the population and and things like that. Bigger market, but that extra ninety minutes of or sixty minutes of flying could matter. Yeah, yeah. Do they have any partnerships with anybody? No. Or so they're not going to have any kind of onward connection type stuff. They, they could sure. try. There was a really interesting story from wasn't Kappa Anna dot arrow Anna mm-hmm. um, suggesting that the feed would be great if they could partner with United at San Francisco. Mm-hmm. It's like yes, and if my grandmother had balls, she'd be my grandfather. What does that have to do with anything? <laughs> like, <laughs> sorry, it's an old Yiddish saying that I can't do in Yiddish because I didn't have it pulled up here. But um, yes, yeah, like yes, if they had this as a part, like if you have a partner, then you would have a partner. That's great, but and there's zero indication that United wants Bamboo as a partner, or um, and or that Bamboo could secure that. And also, like if United's going to do anything to Vietnam, they have the joint venture with ANA right now. Yeah, so. And do, like you think, do, you, anyway. do you think they'll, they'll fly out of Ho Chi Minh City, or do you think it'll be out of Hanoi? Ho Chi Minh City. Okay. Way bigger business market. Yeah, that's what I figured. Um, Even if it's a little further away. I was wondering, too, Delta's 777s are now completely retired, right? Um, who's going to pick these things up for $7 million a pop? Delta. <laughs> <laughs> Sell them and buy them back. <laughs> um, I, there's a lot of people talking about potential for cargo conversion. I'm mm-hmm. not sold on that idea. Why, why not? Because there's a triple seven three hundred ER conversion program available now too. Plus, oh. we have to remember all the Delta ERs have Rolls Royce engines, and they've had all sorts of problems on the triple sevens. Yeah, and I would have assumed that the LRs would be the more likely cargo conversion, just because the LR is the base of the seven seven two freighter. Um, but beyond that, I, I really think that because of the sort of watershed event where there's so many planes coming available right now, mm-hmm. um, the the W's are going to be where people want to convert and they aren't being retired quite as quickly, but I'd have to go check my notes here. I, I'm pretty sure there are some grounded and sort of on the way out. So, so, but why would you convert a W, right? I mean, range wise or, I mean, sheer cargo capacity, cargo capacity. It's, because yeah, I mean, it's seems- cost. Who's getting rid of W's. I mean, Cathay is going to get rid of a few, but yeah, I think that's it. Cathay's got a bunch uh, in storage right now. Uh, BAs are all the 200s. But BA has yeah. W's, but they're new. Right. I'm saying BA's true time triple sevens, but they're 200s. Um, I'm going through my list here to see what I can see. Uh, the JAL doesn't count, obviously, because those are, I don't think the 300s are ERs. Uh, Air New Zealand? Okay. Maybe. Is that what I have written here? NZ has seven in long term storage. They might be coming back. We'll see. Um, <clears throat> Virgin Australia had five. Huh. That's what I got in my notes right now. But that's American. not a lot. American? Oh, American's not going to get rid of theirs. 
No, but I guess and this is a very incomplete list. I don't have everything listed by any stretch. I have about a thousand of the parked or retired airplanes, eleven hundred of. Like, but I'm thinking who has W's, right? Yeah, None, all of them are mostly newer. They're, they're cornerstones of the fleet, right? Singapore might be getting rid of some, but I don't. I can't think of anyone else who has older seven seven W's. Yeah, I guess the other Aeroflot. question there, Aeroflot. Is, yeah, is there huge demand for conversion stock right now at any st- at any level? I just I don't know. I mean, I feel like someone looking bigger picture might hold off on two hundreds for cargo, but if they're cheap enough, why the hell not? Yeah, and do you think it would be specifically like UPS, DHL, those kind of carriers buying these up, or would you think even like some cargo wings of other air, of, of airlines, like regular airlines, would be buying them? Uh, yes. Okay, gotcha. Interesting. Um, Berlin. I guess we should finally talk about this. Who uh, had October 2020? <laughs> Did we actually keep notes on who who's, who said when? <laughs> I think we recorded it, but... Yeah, that would be a lot of work to go back and figure that out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah they really opened the damn thing. Uh, yeah. They, I mean, not the way they wanted to. They wanted to do parallel landings for EasyJet and Lufthansa to open the airport, and weather was below minimum, so they couldn't use the parallel runways. <laughs> wow. Surprised they didn't delay it a day. At this point, why not? Uh, no, they made a pretty big spectacle of it. Um, <clears throat> everybody's moving over right now uh, from Tegel. Tegel's due to close on Sunday, so um, or next Monday. No, today's Monday. Yes, next Sunday, the eighth. Um, well, it's pretty cool. I I'm still surprised that it actually managed to pull it off, but it's happening. And it seems like it like got a lot of people coming out to the airport just to check it out. Like yeah. local local Berlin Berliners coming out to see what the what the fuss was about. Yeah, we have a friend who flew up on the Lufthansa flight from Munich. Yep. So um, I, and then I, turned around and went home. <laughs> I, I think what's interesting to me is the, the the general look of the airport seems it looks very similar to Prague and uh, in a way Warsaw, where it's like kind of this I don't know sterile. Uh, mid-century almost feel to it. Um, it's very clean. It's very open. Uh, but I wouldn't say it's like airy. Like uh, I think I think of like um, uh, what is it? Uh, Copenhagen or uh, what's the other one? Is it Stockholm? Where it's kind of open and airy, and it feels like a very inviting airport. Um, it, it doesn't feel very I don't know inviting. <laughs> but that's just from photos. I have to actually go and see it. So. Yeah, I, I, you know, big, bright, open spaces is what airports are, are these days. Unless you're Barcelona and you put a giant shopping mall on the floor in the middle after building that gorgeous open space. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> sorry, I'm only a little bitter. Uh, <laughs> well, especially because, like, when, I'm sorry, I'm going to go finish this thought. When you go in, like, through security, you're upstairs, and you look out into this gorgeous, or through, I guess it's immigration, you look out on this gorgeous space, and you're looking at the top of the shops that they, like, unceremoniously built in the middle, collecting dust. Mm. It's disgusting. Anyways. Well, I mean, I, I think there's a photo of kind of the check-in area. I do think that's like a very attractive area. Like it's this these marble kind of floors with this wood paneling and kind of the glass, a little bit of glass ceiling. I thought they would be you know, a little more Asian maybe in that look where there's there's more glass in the ceiling. But, you know, I'll, I'll take it. It's it's open. That's that's the that's the uh, <laughs> that's the plus side. <laughs> uh, yeah. So looking forward to checking it out whenever we can travel again. Indeed. Um, Airbus is doing final assembly line tours in Mobile on the 14th of this month. Get your slot now. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pass. <laughs> but only on the 14th. Just one day. 
I couldn't find anything else. I looked. I tried. Um, they were supposed to have started over the summer and are delayed for obvious reasons, but uh, apparently they're going to have one set of tours. I think there's four time slots available, and uh, we'll see from there. Hmm. But I looked like trying to find the calendar, and there was only the one day. Would this be would this be something that you you would go do? Like, are you like super interested in this? Um, yes. But not right now. Not right now. I have. I mean, I've been there. Mm-hmm. I was there the day they opened and was sort of ignored for like forty five minutes after they dropped us off on the media bus while they were setting everything up before it started and was allowed to walk around unescorted, unencumbered. Like as long as I didn't touch any of the physical like airplane components, no one would like no one noticed I was there. So I was running around like a kid in a candy store uh, that day. So no matter what happens when I go back, it won't be as good. Um, but yeah, I love going on these tours. Um, I will say I've done so I've done the Boeing tour in Everett. Uh, the, the other thing to remember is these tours are all just run by tour companies. They're not officially uh, run by the aircraft manufacturers. Mm. So this is run by Flightworks Alabama. Um, there's another one. The Airbus one in Hamburg is run by some other tour company that has like a weird little cube office that's a travel agency right on the outside of the property. Um and is like licensed by the, but but also they all employ former employees to do the tours. I don't know how they're going to do that part in Alabama since I can't imagine there's enough like long timers now retired yet. But um, it's I love the assembly line tours. They're super cool. And in my experience, the Hamburg tour remains at the top, top, top of my list. You are just you, you walk through the facility and you're on the ground. Like if you slip and fall, you land on a winglet or sharklet because that's what Airbus calls them. Um, or a giant tire or a crate of whatever else parts they have sitting around. Like, it's European. You're expected to stay inside the lines and be responsible. And then in the U.S., yeah. like, you're hoarded, you know, herded around and kept behind barricades. So yeah. I don't know what this version is going to be like, but um, because it's Airbus, but it's also in the U.S. But, yeah, that, I love these tours. I think they're great. I, I would like to go on one of these. I mean, I live so close to Boeing. I should go, but I just I just haven't had a chance. And uh, then COVID. So yeah. at some point. I can't believe you haven't been. Yeah. After the Hamburg tour, the Boeing tour is very disappointing. Really? Yeah, because you are nowhere near the planes. You're just in the rafters of the building. Made up in the catwalks. You did this. You did. You didn't come to the Hamburg one with us. I got in the day after. Oh, because of the snowstorm here. Yeah, you missed me talking my way in without a passport. <laughs> uh, Steve was really I... pissed at me for that. <laughs> Why? Because he, he, he sent us emails like every day for a month saying, don't forget your passport. And it was day 10 of a trip of mine. I've been doing work shit every day and needed ID. And finally I was like, oh, thank goodness. It's finally just a relaxing day off. And so I took my passport out of my pocket, left it in the hotel. Oh my and, we, God. and I didn't realize until we literally pulled into the parking lot. And I was like, and Steve was like, yeah, we got the passport. I'm like, actually, no. He's like, yeah, ha, ha, ha. I'm like, no, really, I don't. <laughs> like, what are you talking? I was like, you guys, I've done this tour. I'd also done that one a few times already. And I was like. I've done this one. If I have to sit here and wait for you guys to come back, I'll sit and watch the planes coming, you know, coming and going, and it'll be fine. But I showed up. I actually don't recommend trying this approach, but managed to convince them. Like, I have a copy of my passport on my phone. I can email it to you, so you have all my paperwork, and you can verify me. And then you'll have a copy of my passport, which is all they do is take a copy of it, anyways. And they let me email it to them because I was an idiot. But yeah, wow. <laughs> oh man, um, slim down Rouge service is returning. And uh, there's a little bit of a funny story around uh, one of the flights. Yeah, they are. There's no. Well, they're slimmed down because there's no twin aisles anymore. So it's all on three twenties, three twenty ones, and they started Cancun yesterday, I think. Today, today, and then uh, Kingston, Kingston, which 
quickly went uh, <laughs> cancel, quickly went mechanical. The return got yeah. The, they made it to Kingston, but the return went tax, so they had to send down a seven eight seven to pick them up. Oh. <laughs> uh, so it's a good day, you know, for for Rouge. I mean, to be fair, like you know, I haven't flown these planes in a couple years, in a couple months. Like, who knows what's going on? <laughs> should actually check. I wonder if they like they had to have, like done some sort of like a quick loop somewhere to get out of the like get the plane moving again, right? Like they had it been parked in Toronto this whole time and they just rolled it over to the gate. Yeah, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm sure they spun up the engines. Yeah, I just it's that is uh, funny. Um, yeah. So Rouge is back. Uh, KLM rescue packages at risk. This is due to the pilots not agreeing to some of the terms that the state has laid out, correct? Yeah, and so that's uh, basically the $4 billion funding package, rescue package, that included like loans and loan guarantees and I think even some just direct grant money. But um, the whole package depended on certain conditions and you know cooperation from the airline and the employees. And one of the... Uh, I'm, I'm having trouble figuring out if it was a, a late addition to the package or just the union decided not to uh, care and is making a big deal out of it later than they maybe could have. But mm. um, the pilots union had previously agreed to uh, two years of suspended raises through March 2022. And now the government is saying, actually, you kind of need to give a five year fixed pay scale. And the pilots are not keen on that. Mm, okay. So, uh, do you think? Do you think they'll? I mean, the option is you you give in and take what they are offering, or you uh, potentially don't have a job. Yeah. So that that's a challenge. <laughs> like, I mean, that's the options, right? Uh, so it would seem. <laughs> uh, uh, that, or you call the government's bluff and hope that they fold. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Which, I mean, and who the hell knows? Yeah. Speaking of uh, KLM in Rotterdam, uh, a tram had a little bit of an accident today. This is amazing. Yeah, I saw the photos. So the tram what overran its stop and ended up on the tail of a whale. I saw this picture. I was like, oh, it's modern art. How interesting! Wow, that tra- that that you know tram car looks pretty authentic. But like, didn't think much of it. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's this giant. Uh, whale tail sculpture that sits off the end of the tracks and it's like the tracks are apparently over a water canal or something and the train overran at stop and ran through the barricade at the end and like went all like a full train car worth over the end of where the tracks are which happened to be the approximate distance away that the top of the tail statue is and it's just sitting on top of the whale now Holy it's crap. unbelievable <laughs> the rouge plane never made it out of toronto Oh, so they never even left. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, that, that, that KLM's, I mean, that uh, Rotterdam shot is, is uh, it's really unbelievable. Yeah, really I'm really, someone's like, oh, haha, art or something. And I was like, yeah, this is a really interesting statue. I can't believe someone like would combine it this way. But no, apparently that's what they did. But looking at the picture, right, that, the train must have had enough speed to be able to stay that height mm-hmm. to hit the tail. And go through. I would Barricade. like to think there's like, you know, maybe they don't have them there. But like in the States, you have like a giant... Uh, damper on the end of the tracks, and then there's a cement wall that it went through. They might have only had like two by fours waiting for the track to be extended. <laughs> um, and sorry, I'm r- way behind on the Rouge story. Early. The Rouge plane came out of Penal Air Park uh, out in Arizona yesterday, so they really they had one flight. They brought it back and they tried to make it work. <laughs> they really like they're like, hey, we have one flight on it. It's good to yep. go. <laughs> it had been parked since April and probably should have waited a little longer on that. <laughs> 
Oh man, I can't make this shit up. <laughs> um, I have I have a kind of a random question for you guys. So I have a friend who texted me the other day, and he said uh, it was kind of a random text. He said, "Do you invest in any airlines? And do you think now is a good time?" And I said, "I I don't invest in airlines, uh, and I don't think now is a good time." Uh, but he he he's his point to me was, "What do you think is a good time if you were to invest in an airline?" Mid March. Of, of next year? This past year. This past year. <laughs> with all tanks. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he read, there's a column in Forbes, column, or not, it's not Forbes, of Seeking Alpha. Someone wrote a story about how uh, Jets, JETS is a ETF that tracks airline stocks. It's super undervalued right now, blah, 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 blah. And then you get to the bottom of it, and it's like, I am currently long Jets and Save, which is Spirit Airlines. And it's like, traffic is down is down 80%, or you know, 40% or 60%, but the airline stocks are down 80%. Clearly, they're going to recover, and then it'll be the price will come back through the roof. It's like, uh, you don't actually understand how this works, but that's cool. Yeah, Thank you. It could, it could be that he read that, yeah. I, I'm wondering, would you if, if you were going to invest in an airline, which one would you invest in? Not American. No, that's the one I told him to avoid. Allegiant. Which, which one do you think I told him to invest in? Allegiant. No, I did not tell him to invest in Allegiant. But I should have. Southwest? I told him Delta and Southwest. Oh, I wouldn't invest in Delta right now. No? No. Okay. They have too much to write off. Gotcha. I'll, just so you know, Allegiant's returns, ROI has been huge as an investor. Like, like because of what we talked about a few shows ago, right? Where they're just they're a they're travel company. Money. They know exactly yeah. what they're doing with their customers and they crank the volume up. They're profitable. They brought the cash break even already. Yeah, yeah. You can laugh at them all you want and say, I'm never going to fly them, which I haven't, but mostly just because of circumstances. No, no, no. Because no. I'm avoiding them. But like, yeah, exactly. You want to. Let's be clear. You want to fly I do. because well, some of those lines. <laughs> Portsmouth to Sanford? <laughs> You're like, yes. It's actually useful to me. It's close to where I want to go. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> but, God, I have a family in North Florida still. It's useful. Um but the uh, – no, it's – historically, has actually been a pretty strong investment if you're going to yeah. invest in an airline. Yeah. This is uh, not a financial advisory show. Please don't take yeah, any advice. Actual I mean, results may differ from previous what, – what's the disclaimer? In the case of most of the airlines, right? So if you had bought the stock when it bottomed out, uh, Delta, you'd be at about 80% return. United, you'd be at about 100% return at this point. Uh, American, mm-hmm. you're not even looking at 50%. American has huge debt. Did you see off topic or off off script here? But did you see Ben Baldanza's column in that was one was in Forbes saying that we should be ready for American Airlines to, to declare Chapter Eleven in twenty twenty one? I saw the headline. I didn't read the article. It's basically like Chapter Eleven is a strategic thing, and there's a lot of debt out there right now, and American Airlines might not have a choice. And when that happens, United's going to want to follow so they don't lose any of the strategic value American gets from making that decision because. American waited too long after uh, was it in two thousand to file in two thousand eleven or whatever, um, and lost too many years worth of the value proposition they had of being able to get value from it. And they overpaid everyone. Oh yeah, to force it through. So Allegiant, you'd be over a little over a hundred percent. So Allegiant United from a if you look at the last eight months would be the two to look at. But also, I can make the. I mean, again. I don't suggest investing in any of these, um, and I don't because I write about them. But uh, you could make the argument that they've already recovered more than they should, and so maybe the others have more upside. Yeah. What um, I mean but when you guys talk about, when you guys I mean when you guys talk about uh, investing in airlines, I mean I think we have some friends that invest in airlines. I, I don't simply because I don't think the airline industry is that great of a money maker all the time, um, especially in times like this. But even in normal times, I think that there the swings are too great to mm-hmm. to really. Weather, say cyclical uh, industry, perhaps. 
Yeah, but but so much so that it's it's unpredictable at times. So um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I struggle to tell my friend to invest in airlines. Like I just kind of I kind of can't give him that advice. So I mean, before all the mergers, I bought a bunch of the airline stocks, and I came out substantially ahead on all of them. Hmm. I mean, it, I mean, truth be told, if you bought United before the merger or even after the merger, after it bottomed out, I think it was like sixteen bucks. Even at at its worst this year, you were ahead. Hmm. Now you tell me. Where were, you, where were you seven years ago, Foz? You don't <laughs> listen to me. You never listen to me anyways. <laughs> oh, I think that's a show, guys. <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> uh, to all our followers on Twitter, uh, or ever, leave us a comment. Uh, leave us a tweet. Uh, if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, we're at dots lines, uh, dot, more dots, more lines dot com. Uh, and we're going to have a little bit of an after show uh, for our Patreon subscribers coming up shortly. So happy travels. Take care. See you.